welcome to the Lighthouse Community Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope today's teaching will encourage you in your faith and help you develop an increasing desire to walk with God. Let's listen in. Welcome to Lighthouse this morning. We are so glad that you're here this morning. It's wonderful to be part of a family of churches. Uh, Last week I was down in Bluffton. They were celebrating their second anniversary as a church. Two two years ago they were meeting actually in a home. And now they uh, have this enormous group and they had a a wonderful service. They had a meal afterwards, pulled pork. It was good stuff. Um, But the thing that impressed me the most or that caught my attention, maybe is a better way to say it, is the testimonies from people that are newer to that church. And the common theme that I heard was that this is a very welcoming place in Bluffton where it's kind of easy just to kind of walk in there and kind of feel like you're part of the family, you know, kind of, kind of just fit right in. And I actually think that uh, that social connection maybe is the doorway for lots of people to step into spiritual life also. You know, they feel comfortable, they feel connected, and then pretty soon they're, they're listening to what the scriptures say and they're hearing the voice of God. We are blessed to be church partners with those folks down there. Now, um, we want to stay in step with the Holy Spirit here. Uh, just like there, we talk about uh, what the Bible says very clearly. And in this uh, series, we're talking about what the Bible says about heaven and hell. It's a really, really easy topic. That's when you were supposed to laugh, right then? Yeah, yeah. Last week, or two weeks ago, we heard from Pastor Fritz, and he talked about what happens to us after we die. Uh, One of the things that was unusual about that week is about 90 people, 95 people, asked for that six-week or six-day Bible reading plan just to dive in a little bit deeper into what God had said. I think that's still available out there online. And then last week, uh, Pastor Matt uh, led us through what the new heaven and the new earth will be like. What happens uh, when we leave this world and we're with God for eternity, for Christians. What we're doing is what we call systematic theology. Okay? We, we take a certain topic and we just kind of look at what the scripture says about that topic, kind of from start to finish, to kind of grasp uh, a whole of what might be said on that topic. Now, today's topic is, uh, how does the hope of heaven influence how I live? Maybe a short way to say that is, how do I live in light of of these truths? Now, uh, you probably know that most of the New Testament is about that topic. So it's going to be pretty hard to try to cover that systematically in just a short time. So what I've decided to do today was to dial into just three short passages from the New Testament that I hope will give us a solid foundation as we look at the scriptures, as we pray, as we think about this Uh, on a regular basis. So first, we're going to look at something that Peter said. We're going to follow that with something that Jesus said. And then we're going to finish by looking at something that Paul said. Before we do that, uh, can we pray together? Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your grace, that you are compassionate, that your loving kindness is broad that you care deeply for your creation. We're thankful for those good gifts. We know that you are the author of peace and joy and hope, that those things flow from you. They flow from your character. We're grateful that as Christians, we will be with you forever, that the fear 
of death is gone in light of the hope of heaven. And so we're grateful for the truth that you've revealed to us, that we don't have to guess, that we can know. We can know what you've said. We, know, we can know what's true. And so today we pray that you would open our eyes and our minds, our hearts. We want to hear. We want to we see your face today from these passages of Scripture. And we pray for that gift, that you would open our hearts and minds that we could see and hear. I pray all this through Jesus. Amen. Something that Peter said. Now, Peter was the first disciple of Jesus. He and John were together, and uh, he spent over three years with Jesus. So they were friends, Jesus and Peter. So when he speaks, he speaks from this wealth of knowledge of who Jesus is. He understood the character and, the, and kind of the mind of Jesus. And this is what he says in 1 Peter, beginning uh, at chapter 1, verse 22. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, that's belief, for a sincere brotherly love, love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, which, uh, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and the glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Now, Peter is talking to all people in the audience, but especially he's talking to genuine believers. Now, in the back of Peter's mind, always in, in the things he writes, he's thinking about believers and their interaction with people who are not believers. He's always looking at that interaction, and uh, he's interested, he's, he's concerned about people who are living in spiritual darkness, people who are far away from God. So if you're exploring faith today, this message is for you because it's intended to pull back the cover just a little bit and let you see around the curtain a little bit about what a genuine faith is all about. But if you're a believer, the intent of today's uh, topic is to help you take steps uh, to live in light of things that are eternally true. Now the passage that I just read is full of hope. It's full of hope because it says believers are born again. Now born again is code word in the Bible. Born again means that you've recognized that you're a person who has sin in your life and you've uh, asked God to forgive. You've confessed your sin. You've asked God for forgiveness. You've uh, exercised faith in Jesus as he's revealed in the scripture. That's what born again means. That's what it means to be saved. It says that we're born again from permanent seed that comes from the word of God, something that does not change, something that's always the same. Now, I want to unpack this just a little bit to, to think about what Peter, uh, what's implied by what Peter says here. He is saying that the word of God is both eternal and that it is living. That's how he describes it. Now, the word that's used there in the Greek means to remain behind. It means to stay. It means to not leave. It means to be continually present. That's how he describes the Word of God. Genuine faith is based on something that never changes. It never goes away. 
and never get stale or old. This is the same word that Jesus uses when he describes the relationship between disciples of Jesus and himself. When he says, I will remain in them and they will remain in me, he uses that same word. It's something that's permanent, something that never changes. The context where these verses are found also includes the description of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth that will be in us and we will be in Him. It's this this relationship that the Christian has with God. These are forever relationships. They're based on the Word of God, they're living, they're eternal, and they never change. You might say it this way, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit are like a hand in a glove. You never find them separate. They're always together. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit. Peter is suggesting in this uh, verse that the, the Bible, the Word of God, is more than paper and ink. It's something that remains, something that is continually present, something that is eternal. And I want you to catch what it says here. When it's talking about eternal life, it's talking about new life, that new life starts with belief. And it comes from an eternal source that never ends. The, the New Living Translation uh, translates the Greek so clearly. This is how it says, verse 23. You have been born again, but not to a life that will quickly end. Your new life will last forever because it comes from the eternal living word of God. New life starts the day you believe. Heaven isn't something that just happens after you die. New life begins the day you believe. You know, we all start out spiritually dead, separated from God and far away. When we become saved, when we believe and we confess our sins, we step into spiritual life. We step away from spiritual darkness and into spiritual life, and the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us. Physical death is simply a change of address. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Fritz was talking about the fact that Jesus is preparing a place for us. When Christians leave this world, they are immediately and forever with the Lord. New life, salvation, however you want to describe that, being born again, eternal life, it's, it's forever life. It doesn't start later, it starts at belief. Peter follows these statements about eternal life by noting that our physical body is fading, kind of like a pretty flower. It's something that's wilting. This is kind of news to me, right? I am starting to fade. I've noticed. I want to give you an example. Four years ago, when I was 60 years old, I decided that I was going to run a half marathon race. For those who are uninitiated, a half marathon is 13.1 miles. So you have to do the work and get ready for that. And so I showed up in Akron, Ohio to run this half marathon, and I finished the race. And as I I came through the chute, there were balloons, there was all kinds of noise. It's a big, big event. And the loudspeaker came alive. I heard the announcer say these words, ladies and gentlemen, we have a finisher to announce. And I'm thinking, maybe I ran faster than I thought. And then he announced the name, a female name, of a person I didn't know. This is the backstory. 
the, the second place woman's full marathon runner finished 10 seconds after me. She had run 26 miles in the time it took me to run 13. <laughs> now I'm sticking with the story, I beat her by 10 seconds. <laughs> the reality is this, our, our physical bodies are fading. And that's a process that's going to continue. Now I've thought, you know, maybe I'll try to do another one when I'm 65. I'm not sure I can do that physically. But if I do, something I'm certain of, it will be slower than the last one. That lady would have beat me. Now, she's a world-class athlete. I mean, you know. Peter is saying that your body is going to pass away. It's going to slow down right up until the time it stops. But your soul, the part of you that makes you who you are, it's going to live forever. There's no end to that. Unlike your physical body, your spiritual self uh, does not get old. It does not get slow. It never dies. This is what Jesus was talking about with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, when he talked about being born again. This eternal life that we're talking about starts when you're saved. And now Peter is setting something up for us to contemplate, right? Some things are eternal, and some things are not. Some things pass away. Some things are temporary. The Word of God and your soul will never stop existing. This is a kind of a sobering thought to think about. You will continue on forever. It makes me think about how I nurture my soul. It makes me think about my perspective on the Bible, on the scriptures that God has given us. And all of this brings us to the second passage for today, something that Jesus said. For that, I'd like to go to Matthew uh, chapter 6, beginning at verse 19. And this is what it says. Don't store up treasures here in awe on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Now, if you've been in church very long, you might be aware that some preachers use that verse to try to manipulate you into doing spiritual things. Has anybody experienced that? Yeah, that's a common thing. Sometimes well-intentioned people try to guilt you into doing something. But I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind at all. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's trying to expose to us, he's trying to tell us what the world is really like. And also he's trying to tell us what our hearts are really like. I think he's helping us notice something. Some things are permanent and some things are temporary. That's his simple message for us to listen to. Knowing the difference between the two matters a great deal because what you treasure is going to control what your heart desires. That's how we're wired from creation. You know, there's lots of things you can think about. For instance, there are temporary things you need in life. You know, you have to eat. You have to have a place 
to stay, right? You have to be able to drive, so you need a BMW. Okay, a Toyota. But you know, it's, it's normal. It's, com- it's common for people to hold on to very temporary things as if they're permanent things. In fact, probably almost everyone you know lives uh, a life that's consumed by temporary things. That's kind of the set point. That's kind of how we live, just naturally, without thinking about it. And what Jesus is saying here is maybe we should, we should lift our focus, lift our gaze to something that's much higher, a much higher calling. He's calling us to something. Peter says it this way, we are foreigners. We're passing through this temporary world. Paul says it this way, uh, two weeks ago, uh, Fritz read from 2 Corinthians, where, where Paul calls this physical body a tent, a temporary dwelling place, something that doesn't last. Last week I was listening to a speech by Danzel Washington, and he said this, you have never seen a U-Haul trailer attached to the back of a hearse. And what he's telling us is the, four, the uh, temporary stuff in this world is stuff you leave behind. You can't take it with you. But you know, I think temporary has a whole lot more to it than just stuff. For instance, think about uh, temporary emotions. How about control and power and pride and independence and all those kind of things, and maybe status? All of those things are temporary. All of those things are going to pass away. It is easy for us to spend all of our life and all of our time and all of our attention on things that simply aren't going to last. They're going to be gone. It's easy to spend our time there. What Jesus is talking about is changing our gaze, changing our perspective, uh, looking at things that are eternal, things that, that no one can ever take away from you. He asked this question in Matthew chapter 16. I'm going to paraphrase it maybe just a little bit. But he says, what good is it if you spend your entire life seeking things that are temporary? And what if you get them all? What if you get all the stuff, you get all the power, you get all the stuff, you get everything that your heart desires, you get it all. But in that process of getting, what if you lose the one thing that's going to last forever, your soul. What happens if you get everything that the world has to offer and you lose that? What's that worth, the soul of a person? As I said before, I don't think Jesus is putting a guilt trip on you because that's not how Jesus operates. Guilt is the stuff of man-made religion, not the stuff of Jesus. I don't think this is a guilt trip. What I think, very simply, he's saying is this. Figure out the things that are temporary. Figure out the things that are eternal. And then set your heart on those things which will last. I think that's the simple message. Now, I've had some accounting background, so it's normal for me to make a T-chart. You know, you draw a line across the top of the page and then a line down the center. And if you were to do that and put the temporary things on one side and the eternal things on the other side, it might be a worthwhile endeavor to help you think through that. Now, there are some things that are really easy. 
For instance, the time you spend in Scripture seeking God, you'd put that on the eternal side, right? That'd be easy. Uh, maybe a video game, should we put those on the other side? But you know, it's not that easy to do. You know, what about a job? Think about uh, how we work a job. You know, whether you're an accountant or a production worker, a retired person, stay-at-home mom, you know, there's always opportunity to see the world eternal or to see the world temporal based on how we approach the work we do. I know a lady who is an aide at a rehab place. It's not a very glamorous kind of job. You're dealing with the, the basic needs of people, helping them use the bathroom and helping them get dressed and helping them eat, people who have had something remarkable happen in their life. And I look at that job, and my first thought was, wow, that's just kind of a menial job, until I heard her talk about how she approaches her job. You see, she figures she has 45 minutes with each patient each day. And she's allowed to talk about anything she wants. And she talks to them about their family and their dreams. And she talks to them about their relationships, their relationship with God. She uses that 45 minutes to talk about things that are eternal. She's, she's caring for the body and she's caring for the soul at the same time. Yeah, she's figured out how to take this job as a, an aid in a rehab place to make an eternal difference in the life of people. And I think about stay-at-home moms caring for kids and the work that grandparents do and sometimes the things that retired or, or unemployed people can do because they have time. I think maybe sometimes those are the most important jobs God gives us to do, to use our time that way. It's hard to make a list like this. But if you can separate the things that are eternal from the things that are not, and then lean in to the things that are permanent, uh, you have to remember that what you treasure is going to control what you desire. Here's a real question. What do you think it'd be like if you lived your life in such a way that when you got to the end, you realized you were living eternal life right along. That eternal life that starts with salvation. Maybe we can figure out how to look at the world through eternity colored glasses. You know, you put sunglasses on, right? It makes everything dark. What if we could somehow get the perspective that we could look at all of life from an eternal perspective? and see the world as God sees it. Jesus didn't come to this world to make your temporary life a little bit better. He came to bring real life. You know, it's God's kindness, it's God's goodness that draws us to himself. And God invites us to know him and to walk with him. And when you seek God, you find acceptance, you find grace. I spent about 25 years in leadership roles at a couple companies during my business career before Lighthouse. And I've watched the sad tale of people that double down and spend their entire life working on temporary things. They accumulate stuff and they accumulate position and power. Sometimes these are the most respected people in our world. And I've also watched sometimes as they get to the end of their life and they start losing some of those things, they start being peeled away 
and they try to grasp those things with, you know, they, and you can't grasp them anymore, right? And the thing I've noticed is this, even if you could hold on to all that stuff, it never really satisfies your soul because we're made for something eternal, each of us. We're made for something eternal. Sometimes I imagine my life as an hourglass, a life that's had an hourglass that's had the, the top kind of painted so you can't see how much is inside. You see the sand that's falling one grain at a time, right? Each moment of life. But you can't see how much is in the top half of the hourglass, right? It's, a, it's just you can't see inside. You don't know how long it is. But the, gla- the, uh, the, the sand is falling one moment at a time. And I think Jesus would ask this question. Uh, how do you spend your time on things that are going to matter forever? Put your time there. And then when that last grain falls, how cool would it be to say, you know, I've already been walking close to God, and now I'm just walking in his presence. I think there's peace in living that way. Let's move on now to what Paul said. For this, we're going to go to Romans chapter 8. I wish I had time to work through the whole uh, 6, 7, and 8, those chapters of Romans, but we're just going to hang out at Romans chapter 8 for a minute. The first verse in Romans chapter 8 is that uh, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, What he's saying is that uh, for those who are believers, their sin has been removed as far as the east is from the west. It's gone. We're not talking about trying to make progress with God. Our, our forgiveness comes through Jesus. That's the foundation for everything else he's going to say in the book of uh, or the chapter 8 of Romans. Beginning at verse 14, it says this, All who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. This is the test of genuine faith, right? The activity of the Spirit of God in our lives. Then verse 15, You've not received the Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. And now, we call Him Abba. We call him Father, for the Spirit, big S, joins with our spirit, little spirit, to affirm that we are God's children. For Christians, real life, eternal life, begins when we believe. We become adopted children of God. We have the Holy Spirit in us. And it's personal. It's it's Abba. Father, we have access to God himself in prayer. And the Holy Spirit affirms that we are God's children. That's what's going on in the heart of the believer is they have peace with God. There's an end of fear. There's friendship with God. That's the stuff that the Bible talks about, not obligation. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words, and the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. You know, sometimes I feel distressed. I don't know what to pray for. Life can be hard, you know? 
But he says here that the, the Holy Spirit is, is stepping into the gap and praying for us before the Father. And the Father understands. The Holy Spirit is praying for us according to God's will. So it makes me think, well, what's he praying when the Holy Spirit prays for me according to God's will? What sorts of things is he praying for? You know, as I look at Romans 8, you see this picture of the triune God. Jesus himself, our Savior, is defending us before the Father from the attacks of Satan. At the same time, the Holy Spirit is praying to the Father according to God's will for us. The whole triune God is involved in your faith. That's what's going on in heaven right now is, is there's prayer being sent up to the Father by God the Holy Spirit and God the Son. It's all together. I have to ask that question. What is it that the Holy Spirit prays for me? I want to do something a little different today. What I want to do is I have two verses, verses 28 and 29, the next two verses in the passage, and I want to just leave verse 28 up there a second and let you read it silently and just think about that verse for a moment. And then we'll go to verse 29 and do the same thing. Just take a moment and read that verse and think about it. Now let's go to verse 29 now. The Holy Spirit prays for you according to God's will. He prays God's purpose for your life. He prays for you to become like Jesus. Those are the things he's praying for. I'm thinking about the life of Jesus. You know, he, he spent his whole life dialed into the will of the Father. That's how he spent his time. He spent his life helping spiritually dead people find hope in salvation in Jesus. He spent his whole life conformed perfectly to the person of Christ, the character of God. And so I'm guessing that that's the sort of stuff that the Holy Spirit probably prays for us. You know, spiritual transformation happens as we catch glimpses of God when we read the Bible. God's revealed himself to us. And as we, we read the scriptures and we understand who God is through what he says and what he does, we see transformation happen in our lives. It's possible for every person here to know God in an intimate way through the scriptures. We say yes to Jesus the first time when we come to faith, and we confess our sins, and we ask God for forgiveness to come into our lives. But then as the Holy Spirit continues to transform our hearts, we continue to say yes to Jesus as uh, more and more about the character of God is revealed to us through the pages of scripture. I want to finish today by telling you a story about a person I know pretty well. Uh, this is a person not from here. He lives away from here. Uh, he wanted some help with his spiritual life, and we started uh, meeting to talk. And I learned uh, from him that he had a sense of the Holy Spirit in his life. 
Something had happened where he recognized his sinfulness, he had confessed his sin, he had he'd come to Christ as a young person. But today, as an adult, he's completely lost in the addictions in his life. All kinds of stuff going on. He's fearful of losing his wife. He's fearful of losing his kids. Uh, his life, I would say, is completely off the rails. Completely. There is no amount of do better that I can think of that's going to help him. You know, maybe psychology would help him. I don't know. But he has some really deep centered addictions that are controlling his life. And I'm certain that piling obligations and religious stuff on him would do absolutely no good. He's a guy who remembers God drawing him to himself. And yet he's resisted the Holy Spirit and he's gone his own direction for a long, long time. And now he's living a life that's painful. It's, it's painful to listen to him talk about what's going on. As we began talking, we learned all these things and we continued on week after week. I learned something else about him. And that is that he spends exactly zero amount of time seeking God in the scriptures. Zero. He's in the minority, or, or I'm sorry, in the majority. I was reading an article about, from Christianity Today, and it said that only 39% of people uh, seek God in the Scripture, either by reading or listening or otherwise, uh, more than three times a year. <laughs> three times a year? And I'm thinking, three times a year? How about uh, three times a week or three times a day? three times a year. The other 61% don't even consider God in their life at all. It's interesting, the title on the article that I was reading is Go Figure. Isn't that how it works? The Holy Spirit, the Word of God are hand in glove. If we want to see God, we want the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. It comes through interaction with the Scriptures. I don't think there is any hope for my friend outside of God, of interacting with him in the scriptures, leaning into the presence of the Holy Spirit and allowing him to transform his life. I don't think there's any hope for him outside of that. But I've also seen other people who have leaned in to the scriptures and have leaned into the Holy Spirit, and they've seen God transform them in remarkable ways. I've seen it both ways. The Word of God and the Holy Spirit, they go hand in glove. There's no way around it. And we are transformed as we understand who God is from the pages of Scripture. And we change our minds. We start to think different thoughts. It's this process of losing ourselves in pursuit of God that process that actually changes us. And our lives uh, find this trajectory of transformation as we see God in the pages of the Bible. This is what God has always desired for us to walk with him. And this is what prepares us for eternity. This is real life. This is what you are invited to, to know him. Life is a dress rehearsal for eternity. And Christians will be with God forever. It might be hard 
If you're a not yet believer or maybe a believer who's kind of casual and kept God at a distance to understand, it might be hard to imagine how real life with God is found when we lose ourselves. Here's something you might start and might think about. You could check the box on the blue card this week and we'll send you passages that uh, will help you start maybe a six-day Bible reading plan. There's Bible reading plans at the end of the hall. Uh, One that's really meaningful, I think, is the 30 days with Jesus, finding Jesus in the scriptures over 30 days. If you've been a believer a long time, another nudge might be to change the translation of the Bible you use. Get a new one. You know, maybe a new living translation, no handwritten notes, no sermon notes that you're trying to remember, no uh, comments from the experts. But just to read what God has said in the pages of Scripture and interact with that, let the Holy Spirit teach you from the truth of God's Word. Psalm 37.4 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. That's how we live in light of eternity. This is real life. This morning we'll have prayer partners in the corners of the room up here and in the back. And this is a time for you to pray. Um, This isn't a time for guilt and pressure, not at all. This is a time for anybody who wishes to pray with someone else to pray with a prayer partner. Uh, God invites us to know him. And God is good and God is kind. Prayer partners are coming. There's going to be a song uh, played and sang, and you can uh, find that as your time to pray. Before we do that, I want to pray together for you and for myself. God, we're thankful that you've revealed yourself in the pages of Scripture, that you're not the God of guilt. You're not the God of obligation. You're the God of grace, the God of forgiveness, the God of freedom from sin and from ourselves. You're the one that gives us hope. You're the one that gives us joy. You're the one who invites us inside to be your children, the one who changes our hearts so that we call you Abba, Father. I pray that your spirit would work in the hearts and minds of each person here, wherever they are in life, those who need to know you as Savior, those who need to walk with you as Lord, all of that. I pray your spirit would be active in our hearts and minds, that you would draw us by your grace. I pray all this through Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about Lighthouse Community, check out our website at mylighthousecommunity.com or connect with us on Facebook. You're invited to join us live Sunday mornings at 909 or 1111. Thanks again for listening to the Lighthouse Community Podcast.